Welcome to This is the Gospel, an LDS Living podcast where we feature real stories from real people who are practicing and living their faith every day. I'm your host, Corinne Lay. God speaks to each of us in totally different ways, and I think part of our spiritual work in this life is to figure out how He talks to you and how He wants you to talk back. This week's story comes from Brittany, who learned to recognize and listen to God's guidance as she faced her fears and followed His path for her all the way across the world to Morocco. We spoke to Brittany on her last visit home, and our producer Davy Johnson is going to help Brittany tell the story. Here's Brittany. One of my friends said, if God loves you, he will take you to a desert. Like if you look at the, like the, the Israelites, when they left captivity in Egypt, he took them to the desert. If you look at the Mormon pioneers, he took them to Utah, which is a desert, right? And he took me away from everything that I knew, and he put me in a desert. And I think that he did that because he knew that he could talk to me there. Brittany originally wanted to be a singer, but her patriarchal blessing helped her realize she might have a calling to serve in cultures that are not her own, especially working with people who have been displaced by circumstances beyond their control. After eight years working with migrants and refugees in Salt Lake City, Brittany developed a deep love for this population seeking refuge and a new start. Two years ago, she felt led by God to a job opportunity in Morocco with an international humanitarian organization. She thought she knew how God could use her skills and experience, but after completing initial training in-country, she was surprised when her assigned placement took her in a different direction. I had three hopes. My hope was to stay near the capital because the church was in the capital and I could go to church. And I had asked the, the people that placed that would place me to please keep me near Rabat for religious purposes. The second goal was that I wanted, I had asked God, please help me stay in a region where I can help refugees and migrants, um, because that is my skill set. And uh, my my third request was convenience. I said, please keep me in a place that's near, you know, the major cities like Casablanca or Marrakesh so that I can like, you, you know, get Doritos or <laughs> peanut butter <laughs> or like, you know, things like that. And I, I had told my supervisors this. I had prayed about this. I had fasted about this. I said, God, like, you sent me here. Please show yourself now. So the morning that I got my placement, I opened my folder and it said, congratulations, your placement is 10 hours away in a, in a village of a thousand people um, who are the Amazir tribe. You will be speaking Moroccan Arabic and Amazir. And I was like, God. You didn't keep your promise. Why are you sending me away from the church? Like, you know I need church. Like, you're sending me 10 hours away from church. Like, I like what am I going to do out there? There's no refugees or migrants out there. Um, and I'm not going to get peanut butter. <laughs> so I, I write my supervisor saying, hey, I need to be near my church. <laughs> I, you know, this village is so small. Like, so I said, how can I move to a different village? He said, if there's a security issue or if there's a medical issue. He's like, have you gotten hurt? Did somebody like harass you? And I'm like, oh, I wish. I remember praying to God and being like, please just let me get in a car accident. Please just let like some guy like steal my purse from me so I can have a security incident. And so the 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 supervisor is like, sorry, we can't send you to another place. So yeah, I, uh, and God came again and he said, just wait. There's this phrase that I like, God teaches you how to dance on disappointment because we don't see it all, you know? So like, I really felt like, like he, like he kept saying, like, just wait, trust me. So 
day-to-day life was, it was basically like stepping into a Bible movie. Like it was crazy. (laughs) I was in the desert. It was in a very conservative culture. I had to change the way that I dressed. I had to change my relationships between men and women. Um, Like I couldn't talk to men openly or or freely. Um, In professional situations, I could, but they couldn't come to my house. They, you know, you can't talk to them on the street too long without whispers. Um, I had to change my food, no microwave, no anything, just, you know, a Buddha gas, which is like an oil pump, um, and then you turn on the the gas. Um, I had to take bucket baths. I had to learn how to make friends without knowing the language well. So my, my whole life changed. The first year how I dealt with that was I would leave every three months to go to Casablanca, which is a major city, all conveniences, you know, Eurocentric, Francophones. <laughs> and um, every time God would say, you need to go back to your village. And so I'd go back to the village and I would pout, pout, pout. And I would, after three months, I'd go on vacation again. And the spirit would say, you need to go back to your village. There's work you have to do there. And I got to the point where one, one night I was dreaming and I woke up in the middle of the night and it was kind of like, I felt the presence of God and the spirit talking to me, like it was tangible. And it was weird because it was like, it was like, I couldn't see him or like, obviously, but I could like, he was there. And I was like, in my dream, when I was waking up, I was having this conversation with God in dreamlike state. And he was basically saying like, I love you so much, Brittany. Like, I love you so much. He's like, I know you want to leave. But he's like, I have very important work you have to do here. And he's like, you have to stay and you have to do this work. And he's like, I love you so much. He's like, I'm very proud of you. Um, and I'm very proud of who you become, and I'm very proud that you're here. And he's like, I need you to help me. He's like, I need you to do this work. And he, and then he said, Will you do this work? And I said, Yes. I said, I love you so much, God. And I I said, I I will stay here. And I woke up, and I uh, that kind of like changed my whole perspective. I think God gave me that experience for two reasons. I think He wanted need to know how much he loved me, how important I was to him and him to me. And I think he he made me feel that in such a depth because he he wanted other people to feel that and to know that about them. He loves them that much as well. And it's not always proselyting. It's just them knowing that God loves them. And we might not be in a place where we think we need to be, but we're in the correct place and we have work that needs to be done. So I think him saying like, I think him leading into that, he didn't, he didn't, when I was waking up, he didn't say, you have work to do, like get your act together, Brittany. Like, oh, I'm so frustrated that like you keep complaining and that you need to like, I, I, I keep having to drag you back here like Jonah, you know, just like listen to me. No, he, he led into it like, I love you. I am so proud of you. You are so capable. You like I find pleasure in watching your life and watching you grow. Now we don't, as humans, we don't say those things to ourselves. That's how I know it was from God. If it was from me, I would have been saying like, "Oh, you failure! Oh, you this." That's how I know it was from God because I don't talk to myself like that. And then for Him to say like, "I have an important work for you to do here. There's people that I love that I need you to help." And so feeling that love from Him. 
then I was able to transfer that love. And I was able to also remember that that I love that I love God and that I want to be a part of this work and that this work is important. Because I knew who I was and I knew my mission, I woke up every morning after that and I said, God, what do you want me to do to to bring the kingdom of God on earth? What do you want me to do to let people know that Jesus loves them? And he would tell me. <laughs> Before that, my life was like, okay, I, mean, I need to figure out how to do this project for myself. And it was so stressful. But when I was able to just ask God, ask Jesus, um, what do you want me to do? It was so simple. Like, it was, they'd be like, just go here, do that, do this. So that's what I would do every day. It wasn't about myself anymore. It was all about God. It was all about His children. And the main focus was to let people know that God loves them and cares for them and that everything is going to be okay. Something that was really fascinating for me during this whole process was knowing God as my father and knowing God as like the king. Two different roles. God in the morning, like as the king, like I knew that I was working under him, that I had a project. And he would say, You need to help this person. You need to do this project. You need to do this. And I, it was a feeling that he was sovereign, that he was in control, that this was very important work, that he was very invested in everybody. And then I knew God at night as my father when I would come home stressed and I would say, like, I don't think I can do this. And he would switch to being a comforter, to giving me confidence, to saying that he loved me. So it was these two two roles that I, I saw God playing. So during this time when I was having these revelations, migrants and refugees started getting sent to my village, uh, close to my village. And I was, that was strange because um, at that point, uh, migrants and refugees don't go 10 hours from, Casa, from Casablanca, from Rabat, from the north where they're trying to go into Europe to seek asylum. And I, I would think back on, on that experience. And I remember that prayer I said to God saying, these are my skill sets. Um, I, I have this work with refugees and migrants. I want to help them. Um, this is what I want to do. And I remember thinking when, 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 God sent me out to this village 10 hours from those regions where there were no migrants, no refugees, and him saying, just wait, I have an important work. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, God knew exactly where he sent me and he knew exactly what was going to happen. And he knew exactly that like these refugees and migrants were going to be there and then he was placing me there. He wanted me to work with this population, and I was reading the scriptures, and it said, um, it's Matthew 4, 16 through 17. The people who live in spiritual darkness have seen a great light. The light has shined for those who live in the land that is dark as a grave. When I when I read that, something that's really interesting to me when, when I was reading that was that he, he didn't just send me to that region where like I felt I was suffering, he sent those people to that region because he knew the work that he was going to be doing in, in them. That it wasn't about me and it, it wasn't about like, it was about my experiences, but that he knew where they were going. He knew who he was sending to that region. He knew who was going to be in contact. He knew the work he wanted to do into them. And they're probably going from the north wanting to get to Europe, being sent here thinking, God has forgotten about me. 
and God didn't forget about them. He was building them up, and He was giving them power. They didn't, they didn't have anything, nothing. Everything was taken from them, but He was giving them a spiritual birth, a renewal, a trust in Him that is priceless with anything else in this world. So, in an essence, they thought that they were losing everything, but I was I was getting everything like the greatest gifts from God and they were going to be getting the greatest gifts from God which which is that knowing that God loves them and is aware. So I knew I needed to help when, but when I would reach out to different nonprofit organizations that help refugees and migrants within the country there was no assistance. Um and I had to stop using my mind and what I how I thought I would solve this problem. And I had to go back in prayer and I said, I would have to ask God, you want me to help this population? What do you want me to do? You need to tell me what to do because I don't have money to help them. I don't have anything. So you need to tell me what to do. And he would tell me to do things like contact this person to help with these clothes, you know, contact a Catholic church, like to see if they can help do, do such and such, like go here. And when he would say these things at first, they were totally sporadic. They didn't line up. They didn't make sense. And when I did it, when I would follow it, the things that he said wouldn't come to fruition at the start. And I would say, God, this doesn't make any sense to me. And he, when I was on my walk praying about this, he, he brought the, the city of Jericho into my mind. He said, you know, I had um, the Israelites walk around the wall of Jericho. Did that make sense to them? And I said, No. And, and, and they kept walking, they kept walking, and then they shouted and the walls came tumbling down. And during that time, he reminded me, he said, this is the wall of Jericho. I want you to know that when the miracle happens, it wasn't because of you, it was from my power, and you'll know it's from my power, and they'll know it's from my power. And that will be a testimony for them. And I was like, oh, okay. After a few months, when the miracle started happening, I would look back and it gave me a real understanding of how God's mind works and that he sees everything and he can he knows um, pathways. So Mosi, I met him on the side of a sidewalk. He was panhandling for money. Um, they, they were all homeless. I slept by the bus station. So the only source of income that they would have was panhandling. And I would come in co- contact with them. I'd bring them donations like food donations, uh, clothing donations, different different types of donations weekly to kind of build a relationship with them, to get to know them, um, to kind of understand what their needs were. And Mosi was there. I was friendly in acquaintances with all the migrants and refugees, building that relationship of trust and giving them the donations, trying to figure out what they need, trying to figure out what God wanted me to do with the population. <laughs> so I had known him for about two or three months, not deeply. He wasn't really, you know, a friend. I had went home and I was resting. I was stressed out because it was doing all this work, not understanding what's going on, really. God telling me to go this way, that way, and being like, what in the world? One of the things that God had asked me to do that didn't make sense was go to this little Catholic church of like four people. And I hadn't been to the Catholic church for a year because I'm not Catholic. (laughs) So, but he said, go to this little Catholic church. And that didn't make any sense. So I said, okay, 
So I would go to the Catholic church and I'd say, can you guys help us? And they're like, well, we don't have anything. We're a congregation of four people. Yeah. So eventually I said, okay, well, I'll just come every two Sundays. I don't know why God's telling me to come here. I'm just going to come here <laughs> um, and just get to know these people. Maybe there's something that, he, a way that they can help me in the future with the people. God said to me, there are a few Christians in the group. You need to ask them to come worship for Easter. And my response to God was, no, I can't do that. I can't go to a group and just ask them. Like, I have to get permission from the priest. It's a Muslim country. You can't proselyte there. Like, asking Christians to come to worship with you if they're Christian is permitted. But for me to go to a group and say, if any of you are Christian and would want to come to church, might seem like I'm proselyting, even though I'm not proselyting. And that could get me into trouble. Even even if it was just, I was just inviting the Christians, they could see it as if I was proselyting, even though I wasn't. So I had told, initially I said, God, no. Like, And his response was, Brittany, I need you to invite them to church because the reason for Easter and the reason that I died was for them. And then I said, shoot, like, I have to do it. So I would go each week and very quietly, I would just say, if any of you guys are Christian and you want to come to Easter, (laughs) you can come to the Easter Mass. And I had asked the priest and the priest said, yeah, no problem. And I did that and I didn't think anybody was going to come. I remember walking to church that day and being like, nobody's going to show up. I opened the door and there was three migrant Christians sitting there and I said oh my gosh they came and during that mass they would stand up knew all the hymn the Catholic hymns in French worshiping and nobody knew that there was this little church in in this region because there's not a lot of churches in those regions this church had four people two uh, sub-Saharan African students one Korean volunteer and me one American volunteer and now Um, three migrants and refugees from sub-Saharan Africa. So they started to come every week. And one of those was Mosi. And Mosi was very serious. He would come, you know, say hello to me. We would talk a little bit. He would um, do the, the hymns, do the prayers, and then he would leave. And he did that for like two or three months. And we started to build a relationship with that. I started to love him so much from from those experiences, even though he was quiet, even though he he was serious. And we had exchanged, you know, um, uh, like phone numbers, and we uh, we would text every once in a while. One day he left, and I said, "Where is Mosi?" And one of the other migrants refugees said he has decided to try to cross um, the sea and try to seek asylum in, in Europe. He didn't tell me he was leaving. He didn't tell me anything. And I said, how long does it take to get to Europe? Because if you go from the north of Morocco to Europe um, and you're allowed to do that, it takes an hour. But with the dinghy boats, my friend said that it would take four days on a dinghy boat, like circumventing and trying to go to Europe to seek asylum. And a lot of them don't make it. A lot of them drown. Women, children, men, families. Sometimes they make it. Sometimes they drown. Sometimes half the boat makes it. I had not prayed as much as I did those four days. And every day I would say, is he going to make it? Is he going to make it? And I remember Heavenly Father coming to me during those times and being like, I'm sovereign. I'm sovereign. Even death like does not finish everything. On the fifth day, 
I had gotten like a WhatsApp message from him. And he said, I just want you to know that I made it to Europe. And I was like collapsed on the floor. I'm like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And he said, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. He's like, I just need to tell you something so important. And I said, what? He said, I just wanted to say, tell you thank you. And I said, for what? He said, like, I thought God had forgotten about me. And when you started bringing all of us donations, and especially when you said that there was a church, I had started going to the church and I had started praying and I had re-established my connection with God. And I realized that God loves me. And I realized that He's that He's with me. And I realized that He was providing for me. And it gave me the courage that when He told me to go, I trusted Him and I went and I was brave. He said, when I was watching you do what, do what you were doing, and when I was reconnecting with Jesus and God, He said, I had my own inspiration to like also follow Jesus and be an example to the people within that community that I was with. And that was cool because it was kind of like passing the, the leadership. Like, you know, in the scriptures, it says, Jesus, when Jesus is in the scriptures, he said, God sent me and now I send you. Passing that mantle, like passing that leadership. So it was cool to watch him reestablish his connection with God, knowing that God loves him, that he was going to help him. But then him being able to take that overflow of love that he felt and that with that reestablished connection and then help people within his own community, right? So during that time, simultaneously, I felt God was concerned about that whole group and was wanting to help that whole group of migrants and refugees. But I also felt that he was very pinpointed on Mosi. If he was the only one that needed help, he would have set up this whole extravagant thing just to let Mosi know that he loved him and that he wanted to have a relationship with him. I remember when he was on that boat, I was thinking, this is like the worst part of my service. This is the worst part of my time in Morocco. And then when I found out that he made it, and then hearing that story, I was like, this is the best time of my life in Morocco. He was really poignant in that whole situation, and it was really amazing to see how much God loved him. The privilege of being a part of that, I don't take credit for it. This project wasn't about me. This project was me as a vessel just doing a small work to let somebody know that God loves them. God gave me the privilege to experience that so that I could understand God. And therefore, like, he blessed me as well. I trusted him and I went and I was brave. We're able to wake up each day and know that God loves us and then transfer that love to other people so that they know that's the real work in this life. Everything else just just sustains our bodies. I came back from Morocco two weeks ago, not wanting to, <laughs> as a total shock and surprise. For me, I don't know what my future holds. I don't know if I'm staying here. don't know if I'm going back to Morocco. don't know if I'm going to another place in this world. I just know that God has a mission for me like he does everybody else. And he gets great joy in making us wait for the surprise. And so I'm scared. He's probably up there, like, really happy and excited. <laughs> like, you know, um, putting his hands together, saying, just wait till it, just wait till you see what I'm going to do with your life. You haven't seen anything yet. That 
that was Brittany. I'm inspired by her courage, her faith, and her example to speak intimately and frequently with her Father in Heaven. And although God's guidance can sometimes seem baffling as it was for Brittany, I've noticed that in my life that even when those moments come where I don't quite understand what He's trying to do with me, (laughs) sooner or later He brings me to a vantage point where I can see out over everything and I can see how He was guiding me in both the big decisions and the small details, all to bring to pass His work. I hope that in your desert, wherever that may be, you can see His hand and you can feel His love for you and recognize His voice. That's it for this episode of This is the Gospel. Thank you so much to Brittany for her beautiful story. And thank you to Davy Johnson, our producer. And thank you for listening. To hear more stories from this podcast or our video series or to pitch your own story, visit us at ldsliving.com backslash this is the gospel. <laughs>